Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We're following Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey and uh, you made the point yesterday that the first place Paul always went to was the synagogue where he addressed the Jewish people. And uh, yesterday you explained how he did a masterly presentation reviewing Jewish history and the ministry of Jesus and uh, he was warmly received. Yes, um, many people were turning to the Lord, both Jewish believers and the Gentile God-fearers who would have been worshipping in the synagogue. And the people wanted to hear more. Uh, And we read in verse 44, It seemed that the whole city had come together on the following Sabbath to hear the word of the Lord. (laughs) Now, don't, don't let's go overboard on that. When it says the whole city, that would have been all in the Jewish community. You know, everybody turned up at synagogue. (laughs) Um, uh, There was a big, big crowd. Why? Because the word had been going around and people were asking questions. They wanted to know more about this. But when the Jewish leaders saw the crowds had gathered around Paul and Barnabas, they were filled with jealousy and spoke aggressively against Paul's teaching. Isn't it amazing, you see? Soon changed. This is exactly what happened with Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the other leaders of the the teachers of the law, they were jealous of Jesus. And a lot of their opposition to him came out of their jealousy. And so, you know, you can, this is the sin of man, isn't it? But you can see the Jewish leaders here Um, suddenly there's all these people. I mean, people don't come like this normally. Why? To hear these two preachers that have just come from Antioch, from outside, and boom, this is what is is happening. They don't like it. This is challenging our position. So then Paul and Barnabas answered their allegations boldly. We had to speak God's word to you first. They had to go to the Jewish community first, just as Jesus came first to the people of Israel. As you choose to reject it, then clearly you do not consider yourselves worthy of receiving eternal life. So now we will turn to the other nations, for the Lord has commanded through the prophet Isaiah, I have made you a light to the Gentile nations, that you might take the message of salvation to every part of the earth. Now, this is good, isn't it? Because what Paul is doing is not just saying it's God's will for the Gentile nations to receive salvation. He's saying this is what was prophesied through your own prophets. And Isaiah, of course, was always regarded as one of the major prophets. So when the Gentiles present heard this, they were really pleased and decided to obey the word of the Lord. I I can't emphasize that enough. Because you see, in the New Testament, if you believe the word of God, you obey the word of God. And if you don't obey the word of God, you don't believe the word of God. You might believe that the scriptures are the word of God. They are the anointed words that God has given us. But to actually believe the word is to do the word. Um, and and what, what people call faith without action, uh, James says that's dead faith. 
Dead faith does not produce life. Dead faith cannot produce any fruit. So it's, it's very, very significant that right from the very beginning, and remember, these people had only just become believers. This is not maturity after many years of church life. But right from the beginning, they decided to obey the word of the Lord. And all those chosen by God for eternal life believed. It has always been the case, um, even from the earliest days of the church, to recognize that God calls and God chooses. Jesus himself said, you did not choose me, but I chose you, when he was talking to the disciples. And um, there is this sense then that every believer knows that he has been called and chosen by God, that his response to the gospel is a response to the initiative that God has made in reaching out to him with the truth of the gospel. So the gospel, the word of God, then spread throughout the whole region. However, the Jewish leaders initiated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas by stirring up women of influence who were faithful to their religion and also the leading men in the city. They expelled Paul and Barnabas from that region, in effect expelling them from the synagogue, making it very clear that they were not good Jews, because that's what it meant. If you, um, if you were literally uh, excommunicated, then the people of Israel, the Jewish community, were not allowed to have any contact with you. So that was the attitude of these uh, Jewish leaders. They were really saying to the people, they're out. You don't have anything to do with them. You don't listen to them. You don't go anywhere near them. They must have found them a real threat then. Oh, absolutely. Um, for all the reasons that we've just said, and those reasons caused this jealousy in them. So <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas did what Jesus had commanded the first disciples to do when they were rejected. So they shook the dust of that place from their feet as a sign against their rejection of the truth and then traveled to Iconium. Yet all who became believers were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Uh, this community of faith, one of the hallmarks of that is the joy that was present there among the people. And of course, all those who believe were filled with the Holy Spirit. So it was seen that the Holy Spirit, to be, if you like, baptized in the Holy Spirit, was an essential for all the believers. And of course, when you're living in the midst of persecution, there's no point in thinking that you can depend upon yourself, upon your own resources and your own powers. Uh, you, you live in dependence upon God because you realize that your very security depends upon that. So now they moved to Iconium, and at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went together to the Jewish synagogue. Again, you see, they go to God's covenant people first, where they spoke so powerfully that a great number believed, both Jews and Gentiles. Now, these are, the again, the Gentiles, the God-fearers that were in the synagogue. 
But those Jews who rejected their message and refused to believe stirred out opposition among the Gentiles by slandering Paul and Barnabas. So this is stirring up um, the opposition now of the Gentiles here, referring to those outside uh, of the Jewish community. In other words, they, they really wanted to stir up the city. They wanted to stir up the authorities against Paul and Barnabas. Even so, they spent some time there and continued to preach boldly for the Lord, who endorsed their message of his grace by empowering them to perform miraculous signs and wonders. And praise God that still happens today. Right in the face of persecution, God will do the miraculous signs and wonders that verify the message of the, of the gospel of the kingdom of God, of God's grace that believers proclaim. So the city population was divided. There was division in the uh, synagogue first, and then, of course, this division spread out into the city as the Jewish leaders tried to stir up the city against Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas were stirring up the city to believe in Jesus and the gospel that they were proclaiming. Is this the case we should expect, Colin, that when the gospel is spoken clearly and effectively like this, that it will cause an immediate reaction. Oh, yes. I mean, the the worst thing is to preach and have no reaction. <laughs> um, every time the gospel is preached, there will be division. Now, that's biblical. B- division between faith and unbelief, between obedience and disobedience, between love and selfishness. So to preach the gospel is confrontational. You don't necessarily stir up external opposition like this, but it's going to challenge people's hearts. And if people haven't been challenged, then you haven't preached the gospel. I I always say to, to leaders, if you preach the gospel, you will encourage the people and you will challenge them. Now, if you just encourage them without challenging them, you haven't preached the gospel. If you challenge them without encouraging them, you haven't preached the gospel. But if you both encourage them and challenge them, then you have preached the gospel. And that is true, you see, what we read in Acts. It's true of all the epistles. It's true when you look at the letters that the Spirit wrote to the various churches in Asia Minor in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. There is both the encouragement and the challenge. And that's what the gospel does. I've just returned from a, a, a weekend of meetings in in Switzerland where I was in a situation where God did precisely that. The people needed encouraging because of some of the challenging things that they've been through, but they needed to be challenged by the significance of those events. And you see, that is really what the gospel is all about. If, if we're not challenged, then we're very easily going to become complacent. And when you become complacent, you become powerless and ineffective in your witness. So these two things go together. So the city population was divided. Some supported the apostles, others sided with the Jewish opposition. However, a group of Gentiles and Jews, including some of the leaders, plotted violence against Paul and Barnabas, wanting to stone them. But they heard of the plot and fled to Lycaonia, to the cities of Lystra and Derbe, and the surrounding country, where they continued to proclaim the good news. Didn't matter how much opposition, didn't matter how much cost they had to face, nobody was going to stop them from proclaiming the gospel. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 